Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18. I'm going to be reading one of Jesus' parables today and teaching from that, and I hope that it'll be a very practical, practical time in God's Word for you and for me this morning. Matthew 18. I'll begin reading at verse 21 in just a minute, and I'll read through the end of the chapter, verse 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Our heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would use your word to teach us to convict us of sin and what is righteous and lead us, Lord, to obey what you have commanded here, a command where you call your people to forgiveness just as you have forgiven us. Have your way in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus was a master storyteller. He told many parables. This is one where he is teaching us the great debt that we have before God and his willingness to forgive us. And because of the willingness that he had to forgive us, we in turn are to forgive others. A man is brought in before his master in this story. He has a debt that must be paid. But the man's debt is so great that he'll never be able to pay it off. We're told here that he owes 10,000 talents. It's an astronomical amount. If you were to convert this to today's math, this would have been the equivalent of 160,000 years of work for a common laborer who earned one denarius a day. And what Jesus is communicating here that we cannot miss, regardless of what the debt is said to be, is that what this man owed was unpayable. 
he had no ability to be able to ever pay this back. And the master is going to require that this servant's whole family be thrown into the jail until the whole debt could be paid, which will never happen in all of their lifetimes. And so what does this servant do? Knowing that he cannot pay, he falls on his knees and he begs for patience. And yes, he does say, I will pay you back, but he's not going to be able to do so. This moves his master's heart, even though he knows the inability of his servant to pay everything back. But out of his own kindness and out of his own mercy, he chooses to forgive the full total of the debt. The master forgives the debt that was owed and wipes his slate clean. But we're also told that this same servant was owed money by a fellow worker, a hundred denarii, which was the equivalent of three months' wages, which was a small pittance compared to what he had owed to his master. But that makes no difference to him. He demands the money. And what happens here? The servant does as he had done. When he stood before his master, he pled for patience and says that he will be able to pay that debt off. But what happens with his fellow servant? He refuses to forgive him. He does not allow him the forgiveness that was accorded to himself by his master. And so he throws him in jail, demanding that the full payment be made. So these other servants in the house, they had seen what had happened to the first servant. They saw how he was forgiven of such a large sum. And now they're looking at what he did to his fellow servant, and they realize how striking a contrast there was between the two reactions. And so they go to their master, and they tell him everything that had taken place. And when the master heard that, he seized that first servant and threw him in prison until he could pay all of that insurmountable debt. It's a great story. But Jesus was not just a storyteller. His stories all had purpose to them. And I'm sure that you can see what was going on here. You can see that Jesus was teaching about the incredible forgiveness of God offered to his servants and the subsequent forgiveness that is then offered by those servants to one another or should be offered to one another. Every servant owes an incredible debt to God. And nobody will understand the weight of God's forgiveness until he understands the weight of his sin. This is the debt in the parable. 10,000 talents is a description of our sin debt. When God calls men to stand before him, each one of them has a debt that is far, far, far beyond their ability to pay. And it's not simply the sum total of the sins that you and I have committed that make our debt so great. Maybe that's what we often think, you know, like, well, I'm not as bad a sinner as that guy over there. I know I haven't done the things that he or she has done. So it's not simply the sum total of your sins. It is the value of the one that you have sinned against that makes your sin so great. Hopefully an illustration will help. Let's say that you're standing in your own yard 
Your neighbor comes outside and he's standing in his yard and you decide to pick up a rock and throw it at him. Now it's possible that nothing comes from this except maybe a few words are exchanged. Maybe he calls the police if your aim was good enough to actually hit him. But no matter what, more than likely, you would be back home in your bed sleeping at night regardless of what takes place out there in your front yard. You're going to be home that night. But let's say that you're standing in the yard of the President of the United States when he walks out of his house and you'd like to throw a rock at him. Maybe some of you would. I think that you can rest assured that this particular situation would be handled much more differently, or much differently, and with a lot greater consequence by the authorities. And the difference in those two situations lies simply in who the crime was committed against. Every sin that you commit, no matter how small it seems to you, is ultimately committed against the one who made you to live in a way that brings glory to him. And every thought, every word, every deed, he gave you a conscience to know the difference between right and wrong. He is infinitely holy and pure. All of your sins are committed against him. So even those sins that we believe to have second-rate status, that wasn't so bad. When seen in light of who our holy God is, every one of those sins has tremendous weight. They are crimes not against a fellow sinner, not even crimes against the President of the United States. They are crimes against the righteous God who made everything. And you are accountable to him. And so until we have a vision of who this God is and understand ourselves for who we are in sin, we will have little regard for the forgiveness that is offered to us in Christ. We will think our debt is one that we can handle ourselves because it is so small, because my sins are so small. So when we read a passage of Scripture like this, we'll think, well, that's not me. My sin debt's not great. Not like this guy, not like that guy. And so it's until we understand how great and holy our God is, we will not understand how great his forgiveness is and how great our sin is. And this is why the gospel is not considered truly good news by so many people. They do not understand their debt. And they do not understand what God is offering to them in Jesus Christ. But for those who do, or confess that they do, we know that forgiveness has been bought for us by the blood of Jesus. And it's offered to us when the gospel is communicated to us, when the truth comes to our ears. We are to receive it as good news for sinners like me. And so the gospel is not just good news only to those that you think of as great sinners those whose sins shock you on the crime documentaries maybe you listen to or watch something about. You have to begin to see yourself as the great sinner that you actually are too. And so you are not a great sinner simply by committing great sins, but because you commit every sin against such a great God. And so because this is true, everybody in this room is in fact a great sinner. 
whether you feel like it or not. And you are the servant that is here in this parable who comes before his master and owes him 10,000 talents, a debt that you could never unburden yourself of no matter what sins that you have committed. And so if you don't feel the weight of that, your attitude will be like that of this unforgiving servant. And so if God's forgiveness seems small to you, it will not change your heart. It won't touch you deep down in your heart and change you. You won't feel as though he's really done anything special for you at all because you are not so bad, at least not in comparison to everybody else. And you will be the one who thinks that he has been forgiven little. Therefore, you will forgive little. But rightly understood, the gospel will teach us that we have been forgiven much. Therefore, we will be a people who will forgive much. That's the substance of what Jesus is teaching here in this parable, and it's what God is commanding his people at Kaz Church to do for other people based on what he has done himself for us. We are to be the most forgiving people on the planet because we understand the weight of what God has done for ourselves. And if you were here last week, you'll know that God does not simply command those things that we will not be empowered to do. He has empowered us to do these things through the Holy Spirit that he has placed inside of us when we became born-again believers. A supernatural event took place inside of our hearts where we can't claim, I can't do that. God commands it, and I say, well, I'm just not able. He says, you are able. I'm going to make you able by the Spirit that I place inside of you. And so if you are truly forgiven, you have trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and you have the ability to forgive like God commands here. And so, brothers and sisters, this is meant to be a very practical message, and I am going to assume that there are people in your life that are difficult, people who have hurt you, who have committed crimes against you, who owe you in some way or another. And what you need to hear from Jesus today is that you were commanded by God and enabled by God to forgive those who have hurt and sinned against you. Those who have the Spirit of God, these people begin to do the things of God. And as you see in this parable, God is inclined toward forgiveness. Some people think that he's not, that he's hardened against them, but what we see here, that is not the case. God desires to forgive sinners. And because he is inclined toward forgiveness, therefore his people who have his spirit should also be inclined to forgive. God forgives much, therefore his people forgive much. God's forgiveness will change your heart. It will heal it. And forgiveness given to other people will bring the healing power of God into those situations too. Those situations that right now you think might be completely irredeemable. And I could never stand in the presence of that person again. God's forgiveness is able to do things like that. Completely change your heart toward them. We are called to forgive. I'm not going to say here today that what people have done against you is okay or should be taken lightly, not at all. But the sins of others against you 
Those sins are being held in tension with your sin against God. We see that here in this parable. This servant was indebted enough to have to pay his master back for tens of thousands of lifetimes, but his fellow servant owed him the equivalent of three months. That's what we're being told here our sin is equal to. That guy owes me so little. I have been forgiven so much. How can I hold that against him if I understand the forgiveness of God? And so no matter how much your fellow servant owes you, in comparison with what you have owed to God, his debt is insignificant with what you've been forgiven of. I know it does not feel that way, but you're being told here that it is actually true. And we need to be a people who grab hold of truth and are led by truth and not simply our feelings. And so from God's heart toward us, mercy poured out. Now that becomes the expectation of the way that his people deal with others. Mercy is told to pour out from us toward them. Here are some truths. I got five truths that I hope will help you think through this subject of forgiveness. And I hope that as I am giving these to you, that some people, some circumstances will come to your mind that you might need to go and visit or revisit to ensure that you have handled these things in a way that is pleasing to God in obedience to the command of Jesus Christ. Five truths. Number one, forgiveness is granted before it is felt. It is a misconception that you have to feel warm and receptive toward a person before you can forgive them. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Which means I don't feel like it. Not yet. Because if that's the case, if that's what you're waiting for, you and I both know that you might just be waiting forever. It is forgiveness that changes your heart and possibly theirs. One of our practices as parents has been to have one of the offending children in our home go to their wounded sibling and, and say, I'm sorry, immediately after they've hurt them in some way, even though we know they don't feel like it. They might have said something mean, done something wrong, and yet we tell them that they need to go and apologize. And maybe on the other end of that coin, the opposite side of the coin, what we also need to do is to ensure that the child that has been offended against forgives the other, even though in that moment we know that he or she does not feel like it. Because if we do that, we are teaching them something of the gospel and what God has done for us. Forgiveness is an act of the will in obedience to Christ. It is a product of gospel-believing faith. It is not the result of my emotions. Emotions and feelings, those things follow obedience and action. It is not the other way around. But most of the time, or often, we put them the other way around, do we not? I cannot forgive them because I don't feel like it. I'm too hurt. The pain is too great. I will not release them from the debt that they owe to me. That's number one. Forgiveness is granted before it is felt. 
The second one goes along with it. Forgiveness means that you surrender your right of repayment and pay the debt yourself. There is a debt that must be paid. We know in the story here, in the parable, we're not told about how the master ultimately paid off the debt. We're just told that he wiped the slate clean. But if we understand the gospel, we know that it's not that simple, do we not? That God sent his son to pay for our debt. It had to be paid by somebody. Jesus paid it for us. And so here there is a debt that somebody owes you. That's why forgiveness is required. There's something that must be paid. And what we often do is that we make this person pay us back until we feel sufficiently paid off. But that's not forgiveness. That's revenge. Revenge is our attempt to make somebody pay a price for a wrong they've committed against us. Forgiveness releases them from that obligation. And so what happens when you release them from it? In a sense, you have to pay it yourself. You eat it. You eat the debt. Think of all the ways that we try to get payment back from a person who has hurt us. More often than not, that doesn't deal with money in any way. Most of the time, it's not like they have to pay us a sum of cash. Every now and then, maybe. More often than not, they've just hurt us, and there are ways that we try to extract a kind of justice in response. No, I'm going to make you pay by not talking to you. I'll shun you. I won't look at you. I'll never acknowledge you. I'll gossip about you so that others will think less of you. I will slight you every chance I get. I will become actively, passively aggressive. I'll downplay your accomplishments. Anything good that you do, I will not acknowledge it. And I will rejoice in your misfortune. So when something bad happens to you, I might not outwardly say it, but inwardly I'm happy. Those are the ways that we try to get payment back from someone who has hurt us. But forgiveness means that I will release you from that debtor's prison and will instead choose to show you love. I don't mean that you love them by feeling good and warm about them. I mean love in a more biblical, sacrificial way. I will choose, I will make a choice to seek your good instead of seeking your harm. At the very least, I'm going to stop trying to actively hurt you. That's bare minimum. I'm going to cease attacking or seeking something from you in a very active way. And so when you're in the room... I won't simply ignore you. I'll make war against the impulse inside of me to get back what I think I deserve. And so if you've ever said, I don't know how to forgive that person, I want you to think of this as an act of the will and obedience to Christ, not just trying to get your feelings in a better place. We do want our feelings in a better place, do we not? I think that's part of the process, but it's not the first part of the process. 
You start with forgiveness, which is not dependent on how you feel. You begin to make choices that demonstrate that this person no longer owes you. And you pray for God to pour his peace into your heart and to restore a different kind of feeling in you at some point. But until that point comes, you are not seeking repayment from them. Make that commitment. That's the second one. Third. Forgiveness means that I'm trusting in God to handle this situation justly. So I turn any kind of repayment over to him. And so here in this relationship, God becomes the debt collector, not you. Revenge and unforgiveness are ways for me to take matters of justice into my own hands. And so I'm going to bleed you slowly with unforgiveness until I think I've gotten back what I deserve. But you and I both know that that day of repayment really never comes. We act like it will until, I, until I've gotten back what I think pays me all that I deserve. I'm going to keep bleeding you. But that payment plan, it never ends. We want interest in perpetuity. Our sinful hearts are not going to be satisfied no matter how much that person pays us back, no matter how much they hurt in front of us, no matter how much they ask for forgiveness. Our hearts are not going to be ready. But God tells us not to repay their evil with our own evil, but to believe that he, as the just judge, will settle all accounts perfectly. Everything will be dealt with in a right and just way. You are not able to do that. I am not able to do that. Only he is. And so we turn the repayment plan over to God. That is part of what faith believes. He will take care of this. I do not have to anymore. And so we pray, Lord, I know in the end justice will be done. It will be meted out perfectly. Either this person will pay for his or her sin or their sin will be fully on the back of Jesus Christ. I believe that. And so, Lord, please do as only you can and do what is just. So we trust the situation into the hands of God. He says things in Scripture like, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I don't have to, so we can stop. And forgiveness enables us to turn that over into his hands. Fourth, we should also forgive those who are unrepentant. Forgive those who are unrepentant. Some of you have people in your lives who have hurt you terribly. But to add some insult to injury, they won't admit it. They act like they never did it. And even if they do admit that they have done something against you, they find reasons to justify it. Maybe cast some blame over on you for what took place. Act as though it is not a big deal. Oh, you should just blow that off. That was nothing. So you might reason in your mind, 
If they just asked for forgiveness, I would give it. But because they won't, I won't. But God did not choose to make a move toward us and provide forgiveness for us because we moved toward him first. Nor has he forgiven you based on anything that you have done, but completely because of what Christ has done for you. So you are accepted in him, forgiven by him because of faith. And even that faith that you have is a miraculous gift of God. It is a product of his grace and generosity toward you. You cried out for mercy, yes, but it is only because God moved in your heart first. So to forgive someone when they express no remorse and make no move toward you to reconcile first models the kindness of God. And chances are your lack of forgiveness toward that person is probably only hurting you, stirring up bitterness, producing the works of the flesh, not the works of the spirit. And so forgiveness toward them will heal you, even if it will not bring full reconciliation with the person who has hurt you. That really is the aim of all forgiveness. That's the hope. That's the end, the ultimate aim in forgiveness is reconciliation between two parties. That's what's happened between God and us, and that's what we hope for with other people, to see two parties restored to a fellowship of love. But true reconciliation between men requires both sides to forgive. And so if it's one-sided, meaning the other party refuses to participate in some way or another, You won't win back the person, but you can begin to find healing that that forgiveness in the gospel gives. And so that bitterness that you've been holding on to, it can be released into the hands of God. And that does not mean that whenever you see this person, there aren't bad feelings. There will be. I'm sure there will be, at least for a time. But it doesn't mean that you won't allow, but it does mean that you won't allow that person to have to repay you. You'll be much more intentional to deal with those feelings in a God-honoring way. Every time they rise up, every time you see that person, you're able then to bring those things before the Lord who is forgiveness and trust them into his hands and say, Lord, you see what is going on in my heart. You pursued my good when I was still a rebel against you. Help me to do the same with this person here. Help me to forgive them. Lastly, to forgive does not mean that things will go back to the way that they were. I think this is much a word of wisdom as anything. Because there are sins that change the dynamics of a relationship going forward. There are some sins. You can probably imagine some kinds of sins that would do this. And so we are commanded to forgive, to not require that they pay us back, but forgiveness does not mean that trust is immediately restored or that it necessarily ever will be restored. Things may be forever changed in this life based on what has happened. You want restoration, 
You want perfect healing, but some violations wreck trust and threaten safety. And in those, we simply long for the perfect healing and peace that is offered in the life to come. And so most relationships, I think most sins, do not fall in this category. But for those who have situations like this that do, I hope you understand who you are and find some help here. That to forgive does not mean that things will go back to the way that they were before. But we as a people of God, we do confess that the gospel is powerful, that it transforms. We heard testimonies this morning about that very thing. I'm just guessing that there were people maybe around Christina and maybe around Mike who would have thought that the grace of God never would have touched them. When I first met Christina, I would have thought that same thing. And what a testimony to God's kindness, his power, to the gospel of forgiveness and love that lives are transformed. And so when we do not forgive, we are saying that we do not believe in the power of God to do miraculous, supernatural works in the hearts of men and women. And that's what this parable is saying, that it should do that so that we are not like this unforgiving debtor who would not release this other man from what he owed to him. The gospel has that power. It confesses that Jesus Christ has done that for us. How could I not do that for others who owe me so little in comparison? I know there are hurdles. There are obstacles in our way. Most of the time, just stuff of the heart, the junk that is in there, the wreckage that has happened inside of us because of the wrongs that have been committed against us. But when we are willing to forgive, to choose to forgive by the power that the Holy Spirit places inside of us, we testify to the grace of God that has worked in us. And so if we have been forgiven much, we will no doubt be a people who in turn forgive much. And when we do not, we are saying in a sense that we do not believe that we have been that we've been forgiven of a great deal by a holy God who poured out mercy into our hearts. So do you have somebody in your mind this morning? Maybe more than one, multiple people, things left undone in your life that you have just sought to move away from, to compartmentalize, to close off over here, close that door. Will you choose this morning to forgive? and bear witness to the forgiveness of God. Will you do that? And will you pray that God will give you right feelings toward that person along the way to restore something of his love in your heart toward them and start to seek their good instead of, in our own little ways, often very snippy and very small, we seek to get repayment from those who have hurt us. Will you do that? God says that you can by the power that he has placed in you. So we praise God for this work that he is doing in us. And he promises to do in us. Let's pray to him. Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you would do this work 
in this word for your people. I only know a small, small portion of the ways that the people in this room have been sinned against. There are a lot of hurts here. There are a lot of hurts that have been healed here by the power of the gospel. But I am also going to assume, Lord, that there are many in this room that you see, many circumstances, many people out there in the lives of the folks at Cavs Church that have not been forgiven and situations that have not been dealt with. Lord, please help us. We do not take this word lightly. We confess that there are great challenges in front of us, but you promise to be the God who enables your people to forgive. You will empower what you command. And I pray, God, that in the coming days that your church will experience healing, help from above, salve from the gospel poured into our hearts. You promise to bind up the brokenhearted. This is how you do it. By forgiving our sins, but also helping us to forgive others against us. Purify your people as you are pure. We ask it in Jesus' name.